general, what inspires me are people who mm-hmm. are passionate about what they do. Mm-hmm. You know, um, it's really easy to engage with them and to be infected with that <laughs> drive and that optimism and, and, and direction. Um, or sometimes not even having a direction, just saying, you know, it would be great if we could do this and just sort of like, you know, brainstorming about how we could achieve a particular goal, right? Mm-hmm. So I am always inspired by that. I do like people who who embrace all of the challenges, the good and the bad, mm-hmm. right? Um, I love people who like to listen to what everybody uh, wants and can contribute. Mm-hmm. And that they take that into account. You know, I like people who are inclusive, who who embrace um, the different point of views um, to make the outcome even stronger, mm-hmm. right? We all have a story to tell. The longer our lives, the richer our stories. When I look at you, I see a woman of strength, integrity, character, A woman who has seen hardships, struggles, pain, and loss. A woman who has compassion, love, courage, and power. A woman who has succeeded, failed, and learned. A woman who will continue to persevere and thrive. When I look at you, I see a woman who is wise, not withered. Hello and welcome to the Why Is Not Withered podcast. This is season four and we are on episode number 12. This month's guest was Claudia Ortega Lucas. She is a graphic designer who shares a really interesting story, um, her experience about the evolution of her job over the decades as technology itself has also evolved. Um, She shares about her experience being a stepmother and also her relationship with her own mother and father. Um, She also talks about this duality of different cultures, um, which is actually how I found her through an article that she wrote about that duality of two different worlds, um, which again, she will talk a lot about. She also talks about her community, her support system, as well as some of the challenges that she has faced and some that she's overcome and some that she's still facing now. So without any further ado, here is Claudia. Thank you so much for joining the podcast. And what is your age? My age is, uh, I'm 60 years old. 60, okay. Just turned 60. Nice, when's your birthday? September. Oh, September. Okay. Awesome. And where did you... Oh, oh, you're Libra. Okay. Awesome. (laughs) Are you into astrology much or... Not really. Really. I just thought, I like you. I don't know. I guess, um, you know, we're always saying, you know, what sign you are, but Mm -hmm. um, I'm not really into it a lot. I read it every now and then, but yeah. Mm -hmm. And where did you grow up? I grew up in Mexico City. So, okay. well, actually, in a town called Texcoco. We were born in Mexico City, and then shortly after I was born, 
my family moved to uh, Texcoco, which, um, you know, back when I was born, it was probably a whole hour drive to Mexico City, but now I think they're like pretty much, you know, have, have touched borders. <laughs> oh. But um, yeah. Okay. And where else have you lived? So, um, from, from there, from Descoco, I, um, spent a semester with, um, one of my, uh, mom's, uh, relatives in Denton, Texas. Um, and then, um, we moved to Guadalajara when I went to college. Okay. And then, um, when I was there in college, I was an exchange student um, mm. at the University of Oklahoma in Norman, Oklahoma. And then, um, and then I came back for a short period of time, and um, and then I actually enrolled at the University of Missouri for a master's degree, and so I moved to Columbia, Missouri, to go to school. Okay. And from there, I got a job in Reno. And then I came to Reno, and I was here working for the newspaper for two years. Okay. And then I got a job uh, with another newspaper in Savannah, Georgia. And then I went there, and I worked there for another two years. <laughs> but um, before I left, I managed to meet my husband. Well, you know, the guy who is my husband now. So, yeah. So I was there two years in Georgia, and then I came back. We got married there, and then came back here, and... And we'll settle in Reno. Okay. Okay, so you're you're in Nevada now. Okay. Yes. Awesome. Um, yeah, and, and what do you do for a living? I'm a graphic designer. Oh, okay. So that's what, yeah, I think that's what I wanted to do since I was in middle school. Mm-hmm. Although I didn't know what it was. But, um, <laughs> you know, I did my own collages for my binders and things like that. And so by the time I was in college, um, I knew that that's what I wanted to do. So, yeah. Okay. Yeah. And so take us through like what, what all does that entail? So like making collages on your binder, then how did that translate into the work that you do now? Um, well, I mean, it's, it's basically just a, um, you know, when I was, a when I was in middle school, it was just basically, you know, kind of making a collage of all of the things that I liked. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, and then in a way that I thought was was nice looking. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, you know, by the time I went into, when I got to college, um, I, I started working at a newspaper. And so I was going to school um, from eight to one, and then I was working from two to eight or two to 10, depending oh. um, at the newspaper. So um, we, I was doing layout and um, that's when I, realized that that's sort of something that I really liked. And I think working at the newspaper when I was in college was really sort of what, what got me into both technology and, um, you know, the I was refining kind of how I was doing. So basically, um, I was provided with all of the stories that had to be in on one page or two pages or the whole section. Mm-hmm. And then I had to... Um, use the photograph that I had available for each of the stories and I had to, you know, lay out a page that, you know, um, would have a dominant element, a dominant headline, you know, would have entry points, would kind of guide the reader through it or tease the reader, you know, kind of thing. So, um, and then, yeah, and then that's basically kind of what I, what I did. I did that when I was all the way through school 
And then when I moved to, um, when I got my master's, my master's is in um, magazine and newspaper design. Oh, okay. So basically that was a little bit more emphasis on publication design. Um, it's, it's different from, um, you can do like a, you can do like a poster layout, um, but it's slightly different when you are when you are doing stories because you know in a poster you um, you have less elements in a mm-hmm. way because you have very limited space to tease the reader into what you want to you want them to read or or you want them to be intrigued, and with the story. It kind of goes on and on, you know. It's a longer, a longer piece, and so you have to, you have to design it in a way that um, the reader can, if, if they're just sort of glancing at the page, if the headline doesn't intrigue them, maybe the photo does, maybe the photo caption, maybe a quote, maybe some of the subheads, or or you have like a little sidebar, um, and so so that's kind of what I did mostly um, when I came to the Reno Gazette Journal here in Reno, um, I was doing just mostly one of their small publications, um, which was, um, it was sort of like advertorial, we call it. So it's like a, a mix of advertising and a mix of editorial content. Yeah, okay. <clears throat> uh, and then when I went to Savannah, I was actually um, the... Um, the features and sports editor and so and just like design editor and so basically um just sort of like making sure that all of the 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 graphic designers that were doing those pages had all of the elements that they needed to try to make the paper and the stories thing right (laughs) and so yeah I, i i did love working for newspapers you know but then once i moved back to reno when tim and i got married um you know, the newspaper life is um, it's that you work late, you mm-hmm. work weekends, you yeah. know, it's just a little bit like you don't have, um, yeah, you don't have a lot of the, the normal hours, right, that people um, like to enjoy, like, you know, dinner time and, you know, things like that. And so, yeah. <laughs> and so and my, husband, um, my husband has two children, two boys, and so when we got married, um, there were five and eight and five and nine something like that and so um he was like yeah you know i think it'll be better if you don't work nights and you know he's like i'd like to kind of have dinner together all together and and so um so i went to teach i did a brief teaching stint at the university here and um it was still uh teaching um magazine layout basically and then I, um, there was an opportunity for me to um, apply for a position for, um, it was a full-time graphic designer for the Office of Marketing and Communications. Okay. And so then that's what I started doing. I used to do the alumni magazine and then um, in between just serving all of the different units on campus for, you know, different design needs. Mm-hmm. And, and the job has changed slightly through the years um you know there are certain things that i don't do at all anymore um there are certain things that i've started doing uh to serve the web that i don't do anymore Mm. um and then i did a lot of stuff that was serving a social media 
you know, and so I do some of it, but not as much. So it's just sort of like a little, you know, uh, ebb and flow mm-hmm. of um, the, the type of jobs. Mm-hmm. But all of them have been design, layout, layout and design. Okay. Yeah. Can you talk a little bit more about how things have changed? Um, well, you know, for once, uh, for one, the uh, newspapers really sort of uh, have, have started to disappear, right? Mm-hmm. And before the newspaper was sort of what you used as your trusted um, hmm. media, right? right. Um, and so there was a lot of money spent in advertising uh, to create these newspapers. And when, when content online became much more, um, you know, more effective, it started penetrating, you know, the households, and so everybody started going there, then the advertisers used the money that they were putting into newspapers into the web. Mm-hmm. And so uh, um, they strengthened their online presence, but it weakened the newspaper presence. And so mm-hmm. the newspapers started shrinking down, right? And so um, a lot of newspapers have folded. A lot of newspapers, you know, have gone from having five, five or six or seven sections to maybe having two. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, uh, and so then that shifts to kind of what, uh, for me, it, so basically it was, it was nice that I sort of like my, my private life sort of pushed me into getting out of that into something else. Um, the, um, the work at the Office of Marketing Communications is mostly to support efforts on recruiting uh, for the university and to um, basically communicate with uh, parents and alumni. Mm-hmm. And so um, even, even for us, uh, we, there was a point when, when I was doing the alumni magazine, we were doing like six issues a year. And, um, and then it was like, well, we're going to do four. Well, we're going to do two. And then I think at one point after I stopped doing it, he went to maybe doing it once. And then it was like, well, maybe two. And so a lot of it has to do how people consume information. Mm-hmm. And more and more people are much more comfortable going online, looking for the alumni news online rather than having a magazine, right? Mm-hmm. And so a printed magazine. Um, there are other things that are, are still in place because they are still effective. Like, um, you know, we would produce postcards or brochures for our recruiters to take to conferences so that they can hand out, hand out to students and, you know, parents or potential candidates. But um, even that, you know, sometimes it's like they just have a big screen and then they show them what, you know, they want to uh, tease them with, right? Um, mm-hmm. uh, and so, yeah, so my job has changed due to the way people consume information. Mm-hmm. And um, information online now is just so much more effective, or it can be much more effective yeah. and easily accessible, right? Um, one of the things that um, happened when you printed something is that we knew the moment that we printed something, it was outdated by the next day, oh. right? So, for example, a brochure nowadays, so if we do something for recruiting, we can do a brochure and we do our best to put all the information that we need and QR codes and things like that. 
um, but we know that information that is printed can change, mm-hmm. right? There's There can be changes to scholarship applications, to deadlines, to anything like that. So the QR codes now that we add to all of our, all of our brochures, postcards, things like that is um, to get them to the website where we can update things right. as they happen, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. So, so that, that has also been one of the major um, changes or uh, one of the reasons why things are changing. Mm-hmm. Because on the web, I mean, if you change a deadline from this morning to this afternoon, you can immediately change it. And anybody accessing the information at that point, they will have the correct information. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Um, let's see. I guess moving on. Uh, what? inspires you either in your job or just in a general sense what kinds of things inspire you <laughs> well it's uh, I don't know, it's, it's broad <laughs> um, um i think in general what inspires me are people who mm. are passionate about what they do Mm-hmm. You know, um, it's really easy to engage with them and to be infected with that <laughs> drive and that optimism and, and, and direction. Um, but sometimes not even having a direction, just saying, you know, it would be great if we could do this and just sort of like, you know, brainstorming about how we could achieve a particular goal, right? Mm-hmm. So... I am always inspired by that. I gravitate towards people who who are um, realistic, but they are also passionate about what they believe in. Hmm. Uh, um, and I mean, you can apply that to anything. Um, mm-hmm. It's um, yeah, it's and it's hard, you know, because sometimes I, I do not like. Um, what we what what is called now the toxic positivity, right? Mm. I, I I do not I do not care for someone who will disregard the challenges that are in front of you, yeah. um, and pretend that everything is okay or that everybody should be okay just because they think that they should be okay, right? Right. But I do I do like people who who embrace who embrace all of the challenges, the good and the bad, mm-hmm. right? Um, I love people who like to listen to what everybody uh, wants and can contribute mm-hmm. and that they take that into account. You know, I like people who are inclusive, who who embrace um, the different point of views um, to make the outcome even stronger, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Um, so yeah, so... So that, that, that inspires me. Um, I don't know if, um, I yeah, I, I think that in general, I can, I can apply that to anything, <laughs> you know, your friends, your coworkers, your bosses, right. you know, your clients. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I guess circling back, if, if you're comfortable talking about it, uh, what was it like to be a stepmother? It, is that that is the role you stepped hard. into yeah yes. that was hard that was very hard um you know and 
I probably would have been a lot easier on myself. Hmm. But I think that we all, um, stepmothers everywhere, I, it's you're, you're playing a really difficult role. Mm-hmm. On one hand, you are responsible and accountable for the welfare of those children. Mm-hmm. At least half the time. Sometimes even more. Yet, there's a certain degree of humiliation when um, you cannot take the children out of school. It's like you have to bring in some sort of written note or you have to be already vetted somehow. Or, mm. you know, or if you take them to the doctor, sometimes you cannot even do that either. Mm. Um, and, um, you know, there, there you have no... You have no, I want to say authority, but it's not the word that I'm looking for. So you, you don't have any agency, really, hmm. over what, what's going on, right? And I think at the beginning, my husband was like, well, if you don't like something, then you need to go change the law. <laughs> and it was like, like, I don't have time for this. <laughs> I don't have time to go change the law. Um, but, um, you know, it's very common that uh, when my friends who are stepmothers say one of the majors sort of the things that don't make you feel so good is precisely that, is that you are wholly responsible. You are just as equal as your husband in actually protecting and taking care of those kids. And But then there are these things to where, like, you are treated as a second-class citizen. Um, it feels like that, yeah. right? Um, and uh, um, and it's always so tricky. You know, I like I like to tell the story about one of my kids, um, and I call them my kids from a different mother. Um, they uh, the the young one, um, one time I don't know he was maybe I don't know six or something, and uh, I went to get him from school, and he was like prancing around because. Like, I made something for you for Mother's Day. I made something for you for Mother's Day, right? And he's just like, and I'm like, okay, okay. I said, we'll, we'll go to the house and we'll we'll deal with it. And so then he's like, here, 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 open it, open it. And I'm and I'm like, are you sure you want to open? You want me to open this? Because I'm like, I I know I'm not the mother, right? Mm. So I knew that whatever they made was not for me. And so I was like, are you sure you want me to open it? And he's like, yeah, 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 open it, open it. And I'm like. So then I open, but I'm, I'm opening very carefully because I had the feeling. And so I opened very carefully, you know, and it was like a little, a little flower and something. And, you know, it was really cute. And then he's like, yeah, the happy mother's day. And he's like, can you please put it back in so I can give it to my mom later? <laughs> and I just like that. That was <sighs> the most hilarious situation because it's like that. It's sort of kind of how it goes, right? It's like, hmm. you know that whatever they do, especially on Mother's Day, is not really for you. Hmm. But for him, it just, it made it better. It made me feel better because it's like, I opened it first and then I had to put it back together so that I could, so that he could actually take it over to his mom and, and do that. Um, hmm. uh, one of the schools that they were at for only about a year and a half or two years, I can remember, um, they actually made the kids do two gifts, like to do manual, to, um, um, every, sometimes I think in Spanish, um, <laughs> to, uh, you know, two Mother's Day's gifts, you know, so, because they know that they had a stepmom, and so they mm-hmm. wanted, 
they wanted the stepmoms to feel appreciated the same. Yeah. But not every school does that, and they don't really, you know, they don't really do that. Like um, even acknowledge, yeah. Was, uh, yeah, when I was, um, I was volunteering at this the young the young boys uh, class, and this is when they were like in kindergarten. Um, the first day, graduates like he was like jumping all over the place. Oh, sit over here, sit over here, sit over here, you know. And, and so then, like, I came over and I sat by him and the little the, the partner that was in front, the little girl, and she was like, "Oh, it's like you are so lucky. You have two moms. Oh my God, I wish I had two moms, you know." And, <laughs> and it was just sort of, you know, it's cute when they're so little and they don't understand, you know, kind of why the story of the two moms or the two dads, whatever it was, right? Um, but. Um, but yeah, it, it was hard. It was hard um, because you know there, there's a lot of things that sometimes um, I, I think that in general, although like I said, I'm making a generalization. I think in general, mothers want to uh, want to either be more involved or do, do things in particular ways uh, or have an idea as to how things should be, right? right? Um, and dads are more like, oh, whatever, you know, it's like, <laughs> as long as they're safe, I'm good. Um, <laughs> and I think, and I think that for us, um, I just had to back off because in order to, in order to keep my peace of mind, it was like, okay, well, they are your kids, but if I were you, I would do this, you know, and if you don't want to do that, okay, then fine. You know, it's like, it's, it's on you or whatever, you know, but, um, but yeah, it, that is hard and it's, it's hard on relationships too. I mean, I have a lot of friends who are blended families mm-hmm. and, uh, some of them have been on the border of divorce, um, over the stepchildren oh. because it's really hard for the biological parent to, to know how to draw boundaries for the children and how to understand that they, they, no matter if they're like five years old, they want to play you and they play you against the other parent and the other household. You know, mm-hmm. they will always do that. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that for me in particular, I was lucky that my husband was very much, um, we were both looking at things the same way. And so he always backed me up. He always supported me. He always said whatever Claudia says um, without having to create this, you know, well, if I ask my dad, it's a yes, but if I ask her, it's a no, you know, kind of thing. And so that was something that was very helpful for us Mm -hmm. and that I saw how it played out on families who didn't do that, where the dad would um, say one thing and not back the stepmom whatever she had say mm-hmm. right so yeah it's really hard it's very hard because sometimes too you know the children are children <laughs> and they tell you how they feel and sometimes it doesn't feel it doesn't feel nice because you know you're not my mom <laughs> or you know or something about you know, kind of on those lines. I think in my family, in, with us, you know, Tim was really good at sort of saying, well, here, this is the way it is, right? And that you're not my mom thing didn't really play out a lot. 
That's good. But I, I see it in other families, mm-hmm. and um, and sometimes you just feel like you're doing all this work. You're you're doing all this work. They're not your kids, and you're doing all this work, and you're doing it because you love the man that is their father. Mm-hmm. But then you don't feel like you're being really appreciated at all. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, um, and yeah, it's it's really hard. But eventually, things sort of leveled, you know, once the kids are older. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just funny how that happens, mm-hmm. you know. As long as you're steady and consistent and they know they can trust you and confide in you, then eventually that sort of, um, you know, it's ingrained, right? And so then they're adults and then they know they, know they can trust you, you know, and they love you for that, so... Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 Thank you for sharing all of that. I, yeah, I I actually was raised partly by a stepmother too. And so it's interesting to hear the other side of that. Yeah. Girls, girls are difficult because girls, girls love the dad and the dad loves the girls. And it's, yeah, it's really hard. I have, I have friends who are in that situation and it's really hard because mm. they feel always being pushed to the side and, and 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 like I said, you know they're children and you know that you know the reason why they're doing that, but it just doesn't feel it doesn't feel right. You feel mm. you feel I don't know pushed aside, not appreciated, you know, mm. not loved. Yeah. Right. Yeah. along the same lines what was your relationship like with your mom or was or is with my mom mm-hmm. well <laughs> like I think most girl mom relationships we were at odds <laughs> most of the time hmm. um, I really like, like boy we were always you know bunny heads always hmm. bunny heads um and I loved my dad, you know, it was, and they were like two completely different people. Yeah. Um, so it was just strange. I think, you know, um, in my, my generation, when I was, let's say, you know, anytime between, you know, being born to like, you know, 15, um, you know, mothers were still just staying at home. Mm-hmm. And their jobs was to, you know, do the laundry and do the cooking and clean the house, right? And take you to school, pick you back, um, make you, you know, do homework and clean your room, <laughs> you know? And um, and so to me, it was sort of like, I think my mom, um, she only, she only did that. And I think that we didn't really have a lot of opportunities where where we saw each other differently, right? Or where at least I saw her in a different light. Hmm. And my dad was very, um, he loved to read 
and um, I could talk to him about anything. Mm. And, you know, we, we had this relationship where I could ask him for advice, and I would always go to him for advice, okay. no matter what. Yeah. Um, and whereas I didn't have the same with my mom, I never saw her, you know, in that light. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and then, um, when I was 15, um, my dad had an affair and, um, it was the first time where I completely, I don't know what it was, but I was on my mom's side. Hmm. It was like, I could feel her pain and I could, and I was angry Mm -hmm. and I couldn't believe that my dad would have done that, you know? And for a moment I was like, did my mom really saw what she saw? You know, I mean, it's kind of like questioning this. Mm. Um, And it, it was just really strange, like I said, because we were always butting heads and then suddenly when this happened, it was like this thing that sort of flipped and I immediately became a woman and mm. I immediately understood kind of what the pain that she was feeling. Yeah. And I just, I, it was just really hard to deal with. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, from then on too, it's like the dynamic between two of them changed because they stayed together. Um, okay. It changed a lot. And um, I think that my dad, for as much as I loved him, he, um, I mean, he never hit my mother or anything, but he was just very dismissive and, mm-hmm. you know, not loving, let's put it that way, not loving with, yeah. towards her. Mm-hmm. Towards ours, towards us, yes, we were everything for him, mm-hmm. but not towards her. And and I think that that sort of, um, like I said, shaped kind of who, well, not so much who I was, but um, how I saw the world, mm-hmm. right? Um, because at that point I thought, you know, if my dad is able to have an affair, then any man can have an affair. You know, it was like, it's just a given. It's just like the sun comes out every day, right? <laughs> um, wow. And it just, um, it just made me very distressful. Hmm. Um, in that sense, right? You know, and just very aware, very aware um, that I needed to stay on top of my relationship. Hmm. You know, if I didn't want something like that to happen, um, yeah, it was, it was just a, it was just a really, it was a, a difficult uh, reality or a, a truth that I really didn't want to. I wish I didn't have to face. Right, yeah. I mean, when you're 15, too, that's already kind of a difficult transitional time. time. Yeah. Yes, yeah. exactly. And uh, But you know what is interesting is that uh, even despite that happening, my relationship with my dad was still, like, it sort of eventually it just went back to kind of what it was. Oh, okay. Um, where I could... You know, like I said, I, I, I would always confide in them, in him, rather, mm-hmm. um, more than I would my mom. Um, and I think it was mostly just because I just I thought that my dad actually knew about the stuff that I was talking about. Mm. 
Whereas I never thought that my mom did at all. Okay. Um, and then when I when I moved to the states, um, my mom was the one who started visiting me. Okay. And my dad didn't want to do it. Oh. It's like it's almost like my dad almost like he almost didn't make it to my wedding. Oh and wow! I was I was so angry. Yeah. I remember when I told my mom, I said, well, you can tell him that if he doesn't come to my wedding, that then he can just forget about calling me because I don't want to talk to him ever again. Wow. Oh, my gosh. And um, and I really don't know where that was coming from. Hmm. <clears throat> He's, he was always very, um, um, I think he was afraid. Hmm. And I think he didn't want to share that he was afraid. Yeah. You know, um, and but then he came and then we had a great time and you know it was awesome and that's that <laughs> but like I said after that then um my mom was the one who started coming and so then we we had our own time now that she was not you know when she was here in my house she didn't have to deal with her house and her chores right right and yeah so it was a it was a whole different dynamic yeah. Where, you know, where we then started talking more and learning from each other or about each other. Mm -hmm. um, you know, some difficult conversations, some fun times, you know, so, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's, that is interesting. I guess you had mentioned, like, a few moments of, like, seeing her out of that context, right? Like, that was one of them, seeing her in your home that... <laughs> was no longer that or not not that was no longer hers but that was never hers and just yours yeah okay yeah yeah and it was interesting too um like i said just sort of like weaning her out of <laughs> things like like she would be like what are you gonna you know get him for dinner or something and i'm like i don't know like we're gonna figure out what we're gonna eat i am not serving him anything <laughs> <laughs> You know, for her, it was just sort of like, you know, bring the plate to my dad, pick up the plate, you know, like do this kind of thing that is just very old school. And mm -hmm. I was like, yeah, I'm not doing that. Nope. <laughs> um, and, and I think that that's partly to how I ended up in the United States, too. You know, um, I think it was my impression of from the people that I had met when I was in high school and college down there was that they were a little bit more women were a little bit more liberated mm -hmm. and I, I definitely identified with that <clears throat> completely hmm. and so I think that that was one of the things that you know helped me <clears throat> or pushed me to you know to come here and, and be in this journey that I am yeah yeah, yeah having yeah because Mexican Mexican men or Latin American men in general, in general, tend to be a little bit more old school, mm. you know, and I was like, yeah, I don't want to do that. <laughs> so I'm assuming your husband is not um, the same he's background? He's Mexican, no. Okay. No, he's American. Okay. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah, I guess that that's that transitions to um, how I found you, actually. Um, the article you wrote about being Latina and the struggle of the dualities of two worlds. And I, I already read that whole article, but can you talk more about that? <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, it, uh, 
just interesting, you know, I mean, everybody, anyone who goes from one culture to another find themselves into this place where you, you're trying to belong, but it doesn't matter how much you try to belong, you're always from another culture, hmm. right? Um, when, when I was in Guadalajara, I had this one American boyfriend who was there studying medicine, and he, he was hilarious because he would be like, I don't understand. I am wearing Mexican jeans, Mexican shirt, Mexican hat. I'm riding the bus. How do they know I am American? You know? <laughs> and we would just laugh because we're like, because you look American. What are you talking about? You know? And he's like, no, but I just, you know, but my hair is dark and, you know, and and he's like, what is it? You know, and so he was trying to blend and it was impossible to blend. And it's the same thing, you know, the other way around. Um, you know, for me, is the accent. You know, there's, uh, there's that. And, you know, before I knew that, you know, now we, we are more aware of accents and pointing out to what you're wearing or, or how you're saying things, you know, you know, back in the 90s, people were still asking you, oh, where are you from? You know, and, <laughs> um, and, and I didn't care. I mean, I didn't know any better. Um, and I was a foreigner, so I understood. It's like, I have an accent, and yeah, I understand that you asked me where am I from, right? <laughs> um, but you, you're always sort of trying to find your place. Mm. And... Um, in the article, like you read, for for most parts, like when I was in when I was in college, in particular, I had a lot of American friends. Um, the university had a uh, an agreement with the United States where students who didn't get into med school here could actually enroll in while at the university in Guadalajara for um, I think up to four semesters and then continue to apply to get transferred back <clears throat> and their um, their uh, credits will transfer, right? And so when I was working the student newspaper, we had an English couple of pages, uh, you know, and so we were writing in English. And, and so the best source of information was, you know, the, the students who were learning Spanish that were, that were there doing Spanish in, in, in order to enroll into the... Um, the med school program um and so i had a lot of american friends and we were always hanging out and some of the people that i knew they they were like what what do they have that you know mexican people don't have like why why do you only hang out with them and not with you know more mexican friends hmm. Um, which was not true, really, because I had my solid group of Mexican friends. Um, but, you know, for them, for, from the outside, for people who didn't know me well, it was just sort of like, well, you're just, you know, to just prefer the foreigners, you know, kind of thing. Like, I was, like, I was kind of shunning, you know, my own, my own race, my own people. Hmm. But I think that, um, you know, it's hard because... The, that's the thing, what I was telling you about, just sort of trying to find a partner who was not going to force me to stay home and have children 
and take care of the house. You know, to me, you know, my experience was that a lot of a lot of the Mexican men that's that was their reality. That was the society's reality, right? And so that's what was expected, and that's not what I wanted to do. Mm-hmm. You know, um, when when I was in college, I and I was about to graduate. Um, I was talking about finding my own apartment and move out of a house. And my parents, they almost had a heart attack when I said that. It was like, but no, you cannot do that. What are people going to think? Huh. And the what are people going to think was implying that if I were to, so if my parents lived in that city and I was out in an apartment, that meant that I wanted to sleep around. You know, that was the only possible reason why. Oh, wow. Why a young, you know, college student would move out of their parents' house hmm. and go to an apartment. Now, now, you know what? I had a, most of my friends, they lived in apartments with either their sisters, siblings, or with other roommates because they were from a different state. Hmm. So if I had gone to a different state to school, I would have had to live in an apartment, right? Um, but what is true too is that a lot of families they came and they looked for boarding homes where you have to, to be in at ten o'clock. You cannot, re- you know, receive any male friends. Um, you know, you cannot get meals, or you know, there were all of these rules and regulations, and there were a lot of homes like that in Guadalajara where a lot of people that I knew in college were living because their parents were afraid. Hmm to send their daughters to live in an apartment, right? Because who knows what dangers, you know, would would come. And so um, I just, I remember vividly that I I told told my my mom, I said, well, so I can tell you this. I said, if if I cannot live here, then I'm going to move to another state. So because I am not going to go from living in my parents' house to living in my husband's house. No, no. I need to be on my own and I need to for myself and I need to do my own thing and you know and it was just oh my god it was just something that oh boy it's like um, yeah it was just a battle right <sighs> um, and at the end what happened was that then I I went in an exchange I came back for a year and then I came to Missouri trying to get into grad school so that was the end of that. It's like basically that argument, that fight we had was for nothing because um, I ended up moving out anyway, mm-hmm. right? And I was so far away that I had to do whatever I wanted, mm-hmm. um, whatever I could, right? Um, and so, yeah, I mean, so, so anyway, so like, it's just, it's just, it's just navigating the you don't belong here and you don't belong there. Mm-hmm. You know, you, you, you are fully vetted citizen um, doing the best that you can to do whatever you know you think is necessary and um, but you always have an accent <laughs> right it's like I can't get rid of it yeah. <laughs> and so it's almost like it it it, um, it uh, reveals me it sort of it kind of says oh yeah you know foreigner um, but um, but that is fun you know, in other senses where, um, you know, you, um, you start bringing traditions 
and and things that are from a different culture into your your home and your your friend's home you know when when we first got married we um i started doing the uh, the epiphany you know i don't know if, if you know the tradition but in mexico <clears throat> on the um on the night of the 5th to the 6th of January, um, the children write letters to the three kings because, um, you know, according to the Bible, after baby Jesus was born, you know, like 12 days later, the, the kings, um, I mean, the, the, uh, yeah, the three kings show up to offer him gifts, right? And so we would write letters and they would, they would leave behind um, gifts. And it was not on the Christmas tree. It was we would put him by the window with our shoe, one of our shoes, and our letter. Oh. And um, some families actually put hay and water for the animals mm-hmm. that they were riding, you know, the camel and the whatever. Um, and uh, and then you also buy a, a, a cake that is is very much the same as if you're familiar with the um, Ink for a Day from Mardi Gras. You know, uh, from New Orleans? Yeah. Where there's a baby inside? Okay, so oh. the one baby, the, it's the same day. Um, you know, well, they do it on February 2nd. They do it on February 2nd um, in, in New Orleans. Um, but it's it's a it's like a donut type of cake. Yeah, a king cake. It has, like, dried fruit on the top, and it has <laughs> a baby inside. It's exactly the same, tradition, the same type of bread, um, but also with a baby inside. And sometimes in some places they put three babies for the three kings and sometimes it's two babies. Sometimes oh, it's wow. Baby. Huh. And so then, yeah, so then you, you cut it and um, like, so it's just a tradition and then you cut it and then whoever has the baby, um, it, it has to throw a party February 2nd. Now, I never enforced the party on February 2nd because that was silly, but... Um, <laughs> But we did the cake. Um, And even the kids at the beginning were like, what is this? You know, what are you talking about? And, you know, it was just sort of like, you know, it was just something different, right? And and sometimes you trying to introduce different type of traditions that come from your culture are well received. And sometimes they're like, yeah, no, we don't want to do this. You know, and so yeah. it's so then you're like trying to be better, but we've always done this, or you know, um, or in like in our case, like I was not, we never did anything for Easter at all. It was like you went to church and that was the end of that. <laughs> um, so all of this, the eggs and the toys and the gifts and stuff, like, and my husband was not into it, so we just never did it. And the kids <laughs> were like, Well, how come so and so? They even <laughs> got a basket with this and that, and, and I'm like, Well. Sorry, kid. Like that doesn't happen here, you know. Yeah. Um, so yeah, so there's those things. Um, I remember one time one of uh, one the other boy, uh, one of my other boys. Um, I overheard him talking to one of his friends, and he was like, "Yeah, oh, because I was playing some music, and he was like in Spanish." <laughs> and he was telling his friend, he's like, "Yeah, you know, we're always listening to some weird." Around here, <laughs> <laughs> no. Because it's like it was just weird music that they just were not familiar with, right? And so, you know, they're ten and they're like, "Yeah, we have no idea what this is." <laughs> the sounds of this music is just 
just not what we're used to, right? Mm. Um, so, um, yeah, so, you know, that's that, those are the things that you're going to navigate. Um, and I think um, the Mexican population that lives in the States has done a tremendous job in sort of sharing those cultural things mm-hmm. to where some of them have actually been caught on by mainstream, mm. right? Um, you know, um, I am not sure what Cinco de Mayo came about because it's really not a real thing that we celebrate a lot in Mexico, so I don't know how that became a huge thing here in the States. Yeah. I had a, <laughs> I had a boyfriend when I was in, in Oklahoma, and... When, when before we came born, he was telling me about him and whatever, and I said, when is your birthday? And he was like, in a Mexican holiday. And I was like, oh, uh, you know, and I started rattling off dates. And he's like, no. And another one, no. And another one, no. And I'm like, well, what Mexican holiday? It's like Cinco de Mayo, you know? And I'm like, this is not a Mexican holiday. What are you talking about? <laughs> And he's like, what do you know? What kind of Mexican are you? You know? And so, like, those things that were like, I'm like, I've never heard of this. <laughs> and i never heard of the papillas either, you know? Um, so, yeah. So it's just kind of funny, um, mm. you know, how that works. Um, <laughs> but, yeah. So. Yeah, interesting. Uh, yeah, I mean, I guess it's just... An American excuse to party. <laughs> yeah, really. I mean, it's a battle that we won, but we we ended up losing the war. Oh, okay. So it's not. It's not even. You know, like I said. Yeah, maybe we celebrate because it's the only one we won. But like I said, it was a battle we won, but we lost the war. So. Oh wow! I'm like, I don't even know why we'd be celebrating this, but okay. Yeah, <laughs> interesting. Yeah. Huh. Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. And so, yeah, so those are the kinds of things, you know, and, and um, very interesting things that happen along the way. Um, I remember um, when I was working, um, we had one candidate who was from um, Puerto Rico, and she was a reporter, and, um, and and she was not hired. I thought she was great, but she was not hired. And then later, I kind of heard something about, yeah, you know, uh, there were comments about the earrings she was wearing, and maybe her lipstick was too red, you know. And what? I remember that she was very, she was dressed in very bold colors, you know, um, and she had big earrings. So she was not wearing your navy blue suit hmm. with very muted, you know, earrings and, and hair. Hmm. She was from Puerto Rico. She was like wearing orange and yellow and she had these big earrings and she had this red lipstick that had nothing to do with her ability to do the job. Right, wow. But back then in the 90s, it was like, you know, people hmm. were, um, they were judged by God and you know now I think we are being more accepted I mean even even black women now are more comfortable I mean the society has changed to some degree that they are not harassed for you know wearing their hair in certain ways or wearing colors in certain ways Mm -hmm. um, even though it still happens Mm -hmm. Um, 
so things like that is really interesting because you know you you want to blend you know you want to you want to assimilate right when you come you hmm. you don't want to be that different or at least i didn't you know i i wanted to embrace a culture that i thought it was so cool from afar you know mm-hmm. there was a reason why i wanted to be here um you know when i was in college um a lot of the kids the Latin American kids will cluster right and you tend to cluster because of the language because you're familiar with the customs and you know the natural things that you cluster about but I was never like if I had a group I hadn't if I didn't have it I didn't it like it was not something that I was necessarily um in need of you know like like some of my friends would actually like they really wanted to be part of a, you know, a Latin American group or something. But, um, and for me, it just sort of always happened. I'm, I'm social and, you know, I'm always involved in something. And so we, we had a large group and, you know, even now here, and uh, we have a large group of Latinas that, um, you know, we're all, the majority of them are married to American men. Um, <laughs> And uh, they're all like, you know, master's degree, PhDs. They're, they're just, you know, it's just like a whole different group. And when we get together, it's funny to just sort of realize that. Even when we speak Spanish, sometimes we don't know what we're talking about, you know, because terms are different from different countries. And you're like, oh, what is that? And yeah. then everybody's like, well, what do you call it? And then we're like, well, I call it this. And then somebody's like, no, you don't call it that. You call it something else, you know? So, <laughs> It's kind of fun, and um, except when you gather in those groups, you you feel sort of like you you feel hugged, right? Mm. By by the language, by the traditions, by sort of the the way things are done, mm-hmm. right? Um, one of my friends from Colombia was saying that she had gone to she she's moving, and she was looking for boxes. And she had gone to Costco, and Costco had given them, I don't know, like three boxes or something. And then she had gone to another um, grocery store, and they also, like, they're like, no, yeah, we don't have any. And then uh, she went to a Mexican or a Latin American uh, or, uh, shop, and the guy's like, oh, yeah, move your cart to the back. And he's like, yeah, let me give you this. I'll wrap this up. Do you need bubble wrap? I have some bubble wrap, too. And he's like, the guy was, like, literally giving her all this thing that she needed. Yeah. I think she, I think he even gave her tape. Wow. And so when she was telling the story, she's like, I was just, like, so touched that, mm-hmm. you know, I had gone to two other places, and now I barely got, you know, a couple of boxes, and then I go to this store, and the man's like, yeah, what do you need? Let me give you more, you know, mm-hmm. and... And sometimes, you know, those are the things that you sort of miss from the culture, but you don't realize that you miss them until you experience them again, mm. right, when you're here. Because you're like, oh, yeah, I like that, you know. Mm-hmm. But, um, and like I said, it's, it's, um, it's a complex situation. So, mm-hmm. yeah. Uh, a follow-up question. I, I am wondering when you do, if, if you visit Mexico often, do you feel like you blend right in again or do you feel like a foreigner again or yeah like you're an outsider again okay and that's why you you no longer you don't belong here and you don't belong there so suddenly you Hmm. are like whoa where do i belong right right um because then you know you go back and then and it's funny but you have an accent you 
know, or, uh-huh. or you forget words. Um, when the first time that I stayed with my relatives in Texas, I was only 18, and I was babysitting, and um, my, my cousin's kids, they all were little, and they were all, they all spoke English. The adults, they all spoke Spanish and English, but the conversation amongst us, it was all in Spanish, but the kids was English. So when I went back home, any time I talked to a little kid, the first thing that came out was English. It's like in my head, I couldn't disengage from like little kids, English, adults, Spanish. Hmm. But then also, but then also I had a little accent that I remember my sister saying, why do you speak like that? You know, and my dad would laugh, and she's like, yeah, why are you speaking like that? Huh. And, and I was like, how? Because I never, I, I, couldn't, I couldn't hear myself, hmm. I guess kind of along that line, what are some of the biggest challenges that you've faced? Health challenges. Huh. Yeah, it's like it seems that the moment I turned 40, something started going wrong. Then I turned 50, then something else started going wrong. And turned 60, and it's like, oh yeah, now my back's killing me. <laughs> um, yeah. So I think the main challenge is that just basically that, trying to 
trying to keep myself on some sort of healthy spot because um, it's been pretty hard these days. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's like, you know, your, your body decides that, yeah, you know, you're old. <laughs> <laughs> and you're like, no, but my, in my head, I'm, I'm 30, you know? <laughs> Yeah. Can you think of any, any like specific things that have happened that you faced and like overcame? Um, like on any, on anything? Yeah. Yeah. Or, um, uh, well, I mean, you know, when, when I first come here, when I first came here, rather, um, the, I had hosted some of um, some of the girls that were on an exchange program from Missouri, and they were the ones who sold me into trying to get into school here in Missouri. And one of them in particular helped me a lot to just he said you can stay with me, and then her dad built me a bed, and wow, I mean all these things. Um, and and it was a period of time where like you just sort of like jump onto it right it's like you're fearless you're 20 something and you're like yep I can do this you know um and I remember my dad when he was driving me to the airport he was like just remember that if anything goes wrong and things don't work out the way you do you can always come back that it's not a problem you know so he did a good job into sort of tending that little net safe net you know mm-hmm. underneath but I was like so determined, um, and I just went around and I talked to everybody and I whoever wanted me to do this and and right before I had left, um, <laughs> this one guy that I was dating, he was an exchange in an exchange program from the uh, University of Arizona. Um, he had helped me rewrite my application for a scholarship and. When I was already in in Missouri, I had actually I got the notification that I had gotten the scholarship, okay. and so once I had that, because really I couldn't get into school because I didn't have any money. Hmm. It's like I it's like if they could if they could um, you know help me out with scholarships or something, you know maybe I could have done it, but I just I didn't have any any money at all. Hmm. It was like really I was going on like. Like, like, I don't even know how, like, like now, if I were presented with that situation, I don't think that I would have gone for it Hmm. because I just, I didn't have what I needed and yet I just went and then things just happened and then I got in and then I was teaching and I was doing this and, you know, I was working two or three jobs, whatever it was and, you know, and I just kind of made it through and it's almost like if you stop to think about it too much, then you just really never do it, hmm. you know, because cause then, you know, the fears kind of come. And then sometimes I just, I think that I just, when you just jump into it, then it's just like, that's just what it is, right? <laughs> um, I am a breast cancer survivor, and oh. I remember, um, I remember some people talking about, you know, bravery and things like that, and I just, I'm like, you have no choice. Hmm. It's like you either you fight or you don't. Hmm. You know, and um, I wasn't sure whether bravery was really the right word. Hmm. You know, to just you you have to muster 
courage from wherever you can to just go through whatever you have to go through Mm -hmm. and um and that's it right so it's almost in a way too it's like in this case yeah you would never choose to do that you would never choose to go through something like that but suddenly you're thrown into it right so your choices are very limited and so you just do what you have to do and then and then now, years later, you deal with the consequences of the choices that you made, right? Mm-hmm. Um, the um, you make the best decision that you can with what you know at that time, and later when you look back, you're like, well, maybe I could have done it differently, or maybe I should have done that, or not done this. <laughs> but you know, in hindsight, like they say, you know, it's always twenty twenty, but you just I don't know and that, and that I think is, is is the hardest thing to remember but is the one thing that I try to remember or to remind myself is that to just do the best that you can with what you have right now mm-hmm. you know and I think that somebody has a quote on that um Samaya Angelou or something that says um something about do what you with what you know, do what you can with what you know, and when you know better, do better. Mm, yeah. I can't remember who said it. I want to say Maya Angelou, but I'm not. Sh- I'm, I'm not sure now. <laughs> but it's it's on those little lines, right? Mm-hmm. It's like, and then that is all you knew. It's kind of same thing with like being a stepmom, mm-hmm. right? It's like back then that's all you knew, and now, you know, I'm happy to offer a word of advice if mm-hmm. any of my friends who are stepmoms ask me about it. Um, because now I understand a little better what I could have done differently. Mm. Um, but even then too, it's like, even if I give you advice about anything, you will decide what feels good to you. Right. You know, you, you just sort of gather, you just gather these different points of view so that you can feel like you're making an informed decision. Mm -hmm. Right. So, yeah. Yeah. Okay, a couple more questions. How do you define success? Well, it's very elusive. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, for me, I just, I think that when I when I know that I can count on my husband for anything, that we love each other, that we've managed to secure a home, and that we have jobs, and that our children are doing well, that they're good people, that they do well with others and for others, you know? And that our friends are in a similar vein, you know, that my, that our little group is, um, is formed of people who who care about each other and protect each other mm-hmm. and serve their communities, their communities. Um, I just, I think that that is really, that's what, that's what gives me a sense of contentment, you know? And I think that at the end it is success. If you want to call it that, I mean, <laughs> everybody would define it depending on what your aspirations are, you know? I mean, I could say success is, you know, having, $20 million in the bank. <laughs> and, um, and I would love to have that, you know, um, <laughs> but if I don't have it, I, 
we use to measure ourselves. Sometimes I think that we go, we go too far off and too far away from, from who we are, right? Um, so, yeah. Yeah, makes sense. I love that. <laughs> yeah, and what's, what are some things or however many things um, that you're looking forward to right now? Where are some of those destinations? <laughs> oh, you know, my husband is saying, yeah, it's like anybody can invite you anywhere and you'll go anywhere, right? And I'm like, <laughs> yeah, literally. I mean, I just, you know, I just like think that the world is so, so big and so small, but mm-hmm. it's like there are so many places to explore and to experience and to be, you know, that literally I... I could go anywhere. I think the the real issue and the real challenge is, you know, to have enough vacation days, enough money to go, you know. Um, so those are the things that you have to, like, be sort of figuring out, okay, how can we make this happen? <laughs> but, um, you know, we just love traveling. It's, um, I don't know, it's always fun. My husband loves history, and, and I love history too, but he remembers history, and I don't remember anything after that. Learned it, you know. It's like yeah. I forget about it. Me too. He knows everything. Yeah, he remembers every detail. Um, <laughs> but it's always fun, you know, to go in different places and just be in places where famous people that you've read about, you know, have been, or you 
original painting from a painter that you read in books when you were like 10, you know, <laughs> things like that. Mm-hmm. I just like, I love that. Um, and it always, you know, it's, um, it gives you the chills sometimes when you're mm-hmm. in certain places are just so magical. Um, places that you didn't even know existed. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there was, um, we were visiting the home of one of our exchange students that stayed with us in Germany, and um, the this town was one of the towns that was not destroyed by during the war, and it had this church where Bach had actually played, and the organ was the same organ. Oh. Um, I'm sure they had done repairs, but um, oh, wow. it was the same organ, and. and uh, and then there was one of the guys who, um, we, when we came in, he, he was one of the organists. And so the, um, the parents of our student, they asked him if he could play something. And it was just like, you know, it, it was just like, a, it, it was a small, a smallish church. So it's not like a, a big cathedral. It was definitely on the smaller side, but the organ was really big for this particular church. Hmm. And so the, the sound it just sort of like I don't know it just it filled you in and, and then when you think about oh you know to think about back playing you know the organ there it was just sort of I don't know it was silly in a way but it was just sort of um, I don't know it was it was the same it's just, just kind of magical like when you're in places where oh yeah Alexander the Great walked through this gate you know and she was like oh let me touch this stones you know <laughs> yeah <laughs> um been there before or no 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 we we usually go towards the warm mm. we we love diving Cozumel. um you know it's like the sand is white the ocean <laughs> is like blue transparent you can see it's, it's the civility is like you know 
I mean, it's that you can see forever. Um, and it's just, uh, yeah, the water is definitely, definitely warm. Mm-hmm. So we love to do that. If we have a choice, that's where we're going. Okay. Um, for the most part. We, we've gotten pretty, pretty accustomed to, to that. Um, the Pacific Ocean is, is cold. Um, <laughs> and the visibility is not as clear. Mm. So... But, um, you know, there are some places that we may end up going to if we want to um, dive. Um, every place offers different things, right? And so, um, you know, in the, in the Caribbean is, is the, uh, the reefs. Um, and, and some sinking and sunken ships, you know, some wrecks. Um, oh, yeah. But, um, yeah, but like if you wanted to see more like... Um, or something like that then mostly I'm on Pacific side so mm-hmm. <laughs> you know kelp beds things like that mm-hmm. so like even like um, starfish you know so like different oceans offer you different things so yeah yeah warm not warm <laughs> <laughs> yeah awesome well thank you is there anything else you want to talk about that I didn't ask? No, I mean, I, yeah, I don't know if I rambled too much. Oh, no, no, not at all. Um, <laughs> yeah, no, um, I think it's fun that you're interviewing people. Um, I'll just sort of get stories out. Mm-hmm. Kind of fun. Yeah. It's, uh, it's definitely, it's definitely a challenge to, um, you know, that discrepancy between your brain and your body, you mm. know, when your body definitely thinks that you're 30 and your <laughs> body is definitely saying that we're not. <laughs> um, and, and, and you have to, you know, you have to be more um, mindful of the things that you do or mm. you don't do, you know, and it's almost like you have to, and you have to also prepare in a much different way mm. uh, to moving in and to being older. Um, you know, right now, a lot of my friends are kind of going through the same thing and they're all like, yeah, this is, this is, this is kind of sucky, you know, <laughs> um, that suddenly, you know, their knees, uh, hurt or their shoulders or, you know, um, if anybody falls, um, you know, the damage is a little worse than, you know, it would have been, you know, 20 years ago. Right. Um, and also because you are also dealing with the, your aging parents. Mm-hmm. And you start seeing a lot of the, a lot of the challenges that they face. You know, a lot of them are bedridden. A lot of them, you know, if they have Alzheimer's or if they have, you know, Parkinson's, um, yeah. and all of the needs that need to be taken care of. And then you start thinking about what do I have to do so that my children don't have to struggle so much in taking care of me when I need them to take care of me, right? right? Yeah. Um, and hopefully you're like, uh, hopefully they want me to take care of you. Um, you know, my mother-in-law is the perfect example. You know, she's 84 and she <sighs> comes and goes and she does a lot of walking and, you know, she's full of energy and and my mom is not. Hmm. You know, um, my mom is starting to um, forget things. She can, she can't remember. She tells you a story, you know, the same story over and over again. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, so 
you see that, it's almost like you start seeing your potential future, mm-hmm. you know, because you, even if you don't end up exactly in the same situation, you are very aware that things will just go wrong. Mm-hmm. And it's really, I think it's unfortunate that um, as we get older, you know, um, our needs become greater, right? Um, and you are trying to, um, you're trying to prepare so that you can, you know, save and have a piggy bank so that you don't have to task your children's financials with taking care of you. Mm. But you're also trying to make decisions that will help you keep your body strong and moving so that you don't end up in a wheelchair and unable to move or if you have to have somebody helping you. And then also it's like, you just don't know what's going to happen, right? I mean, we can sit here and think about all the potential possibilities and try to plan for every one of them. And then something else happens that you have no idea or something that you cannot control, right? Mm -hmm. So, um, so that is hard. That is hard. And, and like I said, because now our friends are roughly our age, you know, some of them are like 10 years older, 10 years younger, but we're, we're around there. And so some of the challenges that we start all facing, I start being the same. Mm -hmm. Um, and it can be, it can be a little daunting, a little scary. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But again, you just do the best that you can with what you have. Right. And and then you cross your fingers and you're like, okay, let's, <laughs> let's, let's hope that it works. <laughs> yeah, that's all, all you really can do. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And and because that's the other thing too, is like otherwise you end up in you know in a world of anxiety. Hmm. You know. Yeah. Because unfortunately, we we cannot control what's going to happen and. We sometimes want to give ourselves the full sense that we can control things, but we really can't. Mm-mm. So, but it is also very hard to just sort of kind of go with the moment and not plan and don't try to be prepared. <laughs> you know? Yeah, um, it's a balance of being prepared and coming with or going with whatever comes. <laughs> Yep, yep, mm-hmm. yep. Rolling with the punches. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Yes, indeed. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, thank you so much. This has been quite an illuminating conversation. Thank you for your time. Oh, well, thank you for reaching out. I appreciate it. Thanks for listening to another episode of the Wise Not Withered podcast. You can find the full transcription of this episode on wisenotwithered.com. Stay tuned for another interview next month. Bye-bye.